Welcome to Foothills Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Doug Peak. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit foothills.org. Welcome, everyone. <laughs> Helps when the pastor turns his mic on. Uh, I'm Douglas Peak, and I am excited that you are here and want you to feel a part, an invitation personally from me to be a part of Foothills Christian Church, whether you're on campus or you're watching online and the 100 people up at the family camp out right now, uh, in the smoke. It's awesome that everybody's here. We want you to continue in your journey of faith of knowing Jesus Christ. So it doesn't matter if you are skeptical or checking things out or you've been walking with God for a long, long time. We are here to encourage and coach and facilitate you developing that relationship with Him. Maybe your journey started in like Iowa, and it brought you to the Treasure Valley. Even if your journey with the Lord started in California, we are glad you're here. Now, one of the things, if you're new, that you will learn about me is I love building and remodeling and doing all that kind of stuff. And there's tens of thousands of pictures out there before and after, but I, I found one that I wanted to show you that kind of fits our theme for today. And here it is. It is a picture of a kitchen and you'll so there's a lot of wood there. It's kind of got an Idaho vibe, you know, lots and lots of wood, dark woods and stuff like that. And you walk in there and you go, wow, this feels comfortable and warm. And, and then somebody came along and said, you know, this is what it would be like if we refreshed it and updated it. And so look what they did. So, wow, that really pops, doesn't it? Now, what's interesting is you could have lived in the old one without any problem at all and probably felt comfortable. But then somebody with a vision comes along and says, hey, you need to refocus and refresh this space. And because of that, you get something really new and exciting. And refocusing and refreshing is very important, I think, in life. Because what it does is it allows us to clarify our core values. It allows us to refocus the point and purpose of our lives. And wisdom has taught me one of the most important times in your life to refresh is right after a big change or transition. When you refocus and refresh right after a big transition in life, that transition has a tendency to wear you out, it can distract you. You're taking care of so many things. You don't have a routine. And so you're kind of out of sorts. And so at times like that is when you should refocus. And when you refocus, it can bring refreshment in your life. It's like spring cleaning of the garage. Uh, if you can refresh your soul, you can clean out the cluttered garage of the soul. And you're going like, wow, it's so much better than I even Imagine, and I think right now most people in America across the globe are in need of some spiritual refreshment now more than ever. Now, we see this because all the research over the last year and a half is coming out. It says that stress, anxiety, depression, all that stuff is off the charts. Everybody is out of sorts. Everybody's in transitions. Oh, so many lives change. So many new things that are, are stressing us out. And all the adults who are feeling this are now passing it on to their kids. 
I'd like to share with you something here real quick, and that is there's a gal by the name of Erica Commissar, and she is a child therapist, psychoanalyst, uh, and she says that the number one request in her practice, she's been practicing in New York City for over 20 years, she's written a number of books, uh, bestsellers, she said is, why is uh, anxiety and depression so high among children and adolescents? Isn't that strange? Adults have been dealing with that over time, but children and preteens are struggling. Number one thing, anxiety and depression. Her answer is this, is it's because of lack of religious involvement. She says, purely from a psychological point of view, this is not a good trend. Nihilism, the belief in nothing, is rich fertilizer for anxiety and depression. She then points out that there's been a 20% decline in religious involvement over the last 20 years, and you see a correlating increase in anxiety and depression among children. She goes to cite a study at Harvard that was done in 2018, and they said something really, really interesting there. It says, children who attend weekly religious services, not occasional, but weekly, score much higher. Now, that's a big deal when you're doing research and things. The phrase much higher means there's a significant statistical difference on psychological well-being and have a much lower cases of mental illness. So children who attend weekly religious services have lower cases of anxiety and depression and insecurity. Weekly attendance was also linked to higher rates of volunteerism, lower probabilities of both drug use and early sexual initiation, and a sense, this is the most important thing of all, purpose. Sense of purpose, sense of meaning is directly linked to your mental capacity, mental strength to deal with anxiety and depression. So it's amazing that even Harvard is reinforcing this truth. So we need something that refreshes us now more than ever. We need a refreshment of the soul, not just uh, for those of us who've been following Christ and lived through all the stress of the last 18 months, but our entire society. And the key to refreshing your soul may be something you've never thought of before. And today I'd like to share that with you. It's called repentance. Now I know repentance has a bad rap. Whenever I say repentance, you think of that guy in New York City with the sandwich board. He hasn't bathed in eight years that says, repent, the end is near. And you're like, repent, stay away from me, uh, downwind, you know? Woo. So that's what we think repentance is. We think repentance is, man, I'm doing stuff I shouldn't be doing, and so I'm just going to quit doing it. You know, if you hang around law enforcement guys after a while, they deal with perps and stuff like that, they go, man, that guy needs a come to Jesus moment. He needs to repent. What do they mean? You know, he kind of needs to wake up and get his act together. And so repentance has always kind of had this sense of, well, we just need to quit doing stuff we're not supposed to do. It's kind of like a, 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 a conscious thing. You know, your conscience is pricked and tells you you're doing something bad and you need to fix it. And so as long as you're not doing bad stuff, oh, you've repented. But that's not actually what the Bible teaches. Listen to Acts chapter 319. And this is uh, Peter, the apostle, says, Repent, so there we have the word, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, so that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. So repentance brings about a refreshing. And the reason why 
we don't receive the refreshment of repentance is because we've diluted the meaning of it. The reason is repentance has two parts, and we only focus in our society, I don't mean us in our church, but just general, is that our society only focuses on the one part. Don't do that stuff because it's wrong, which is a form of moralism. Just don't do that. And because you leave out the other part, guess what? It changes from a deeply powerful spiritual principle into just a cultural perspective or a cultural meme. It's a cliché. Case of point, going to illustrate this, is that a number of years ago, the carpet in the back hallway here by our kitchen had just gotten trashed because every time they brought food out, they'd spill food, you know, and it was just in a bad shape. So we tore it all out because it was just a mess. And so we were talking about, well, what do we want to do back then? And so this guy says, well, you know what I could do is I could do a concrete overlay. We could stain it whatever color you want. And I go, well, what, what is this? This is, I don't know, probably 15, 20 years ago. It's kind of a new thing back then. He says, well, I take this, this product, you know, and what I do is I mix it with acrylic, and then it, you get this really hard surface overlay. It's awesome stuff. And so he said, I'll volunteer my time. I'll buy the product. And I said, okay, I'll come out. I'll volunteer, and I'll mix it for you. I'll be your mixer guy. So we got all these five-gallon buckets of water, you know, and then you got this big uh, Milwaukee, like it's a whole hog, you know, to a, to a, a little uh, paddle, you know, that mixes it up. And and so he pulls all this material out, all these buckets filled with water. And I knew I was going to run out with water. So I get the hose going over here. And then he brings out this five-gallon bucket of acrylic. So he says, I'm going to go in because I'm the artist. And you're going to be out there and be the grunt work. And you mix this stuff for me. And then what I'm going to do is I'll pour it and make sure it's all level, blah, 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 blah. So I said, OK. So I go out there and I pour in the material, you know, in the bucket. And I reach over. And I don't know why I did this, but I pick up the garden hose. And so I fill up the bucket, and then I mix it up. And then I go in there and he pours it out. Then I go do another one. I did that four times. And he looks at it, he goes, there's something wrong with the consistency of this. What are you doing? And I go, well, I'm putting them here and there. I fill it with water. And he goes, you're not using the acrylic? I said, no. Uh-oh. So we make a whole bunch of other report. And then what we try to do is mix the good stuff that I mixed with acrylic onto the stuff that I didn't mix. Guess what happened? Two days later, it looked like the bottom of Death Valley after a drought. It was all cracked and everything, so we had to tear it all up and replace it. Repentance is a two-part system. You leave out one, your soul's going to look like the base of Death Valley after a drought. And I'm not joking. Jesus described the essence of authentic repentance this way in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. This is what he said. This was right after Peter said to him, oh, I don't want you to go and die. I don't want you to be a sacrifice. And Jesus says, get thee behind me, Satan, because your values don't align with the values of God. And he says, he gathers everybody together. He goes, look, whoever wants to be my disciple... You need to deny yourself. Okay, this is the stop doing what's wrong or stop doing your own thing. But then you need to pick up your cross and follow me. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, pick up their cross, and follow me. This is repentance. It's letting go of yourself, denying yourself, dying to the self, picking up the cross, and following me. Repentance is a 
two-part system. If you come here and you deny yourself and then you do this, you're not going to experience the transformative power of repentance in your life. So how do you do it? Well, Paul actually describes the process in Philippians chapter 3. So let me read this to you. It'll be up on the screen. It's a little bit long, but I want you to listen to what he's talking about as I read this, and then we're going to go back and illustrate the actual steps of repentance that Paul is describing. Listen to this. The first thing he starts off with is he says, my old self was really awesome. Okay? My old self was really awesome. Listen to this. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day, the people of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews in regards to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, listen to this, faultless, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, a righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do. I forget what is behind and strain towards what is ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. This is the word of Jesus to us through the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Philippians. Now notice what he says there. He starts off by saying, my old self was awesome. I valued all of these things. I valued my ethnic identity as a Hebrew of Hebrews above all else. I valued my knowledge about the law above all else. I valued my capacity to follow those rules perfectly above all else. As for zeal, I valued my passion for my calling above all else. But I decided to reject it all. I denied all of it. I let go of it all. So he first turned away. And what he did, he said, everybody valued this, I valued this, but now I deny it and let go of it, okay? And then he reinforces the devaluation of it by saying it's rubbish. Now, it's important to understand what he's really saying here. 
in the Roman Empire, one of the reasons why it got so large is because they were healthier than many of the other people groups around them because they had figured out how to dispose of sewage. Okay? One of the most important things that happens in any tragedy around the globe now in a populated area is the first thing you want to do is you want to go in and you want to fix how to get rid of the sewage because that's where cholera comes from. That's where all these outbreaks come from. That's where the black plague or the bubonic plague came from. So all of these things. So what they did is they would tap a stream and they'd build these beautiful aqueducts. You know, they're just gorgeous things. You can still go see them today, 2000 years old and they're still standing. And they would pipe water into these cities and they, the homes didn't have bathrooms, but they built public toilets, right? And you could go in there and they look, they had these stone lids with cutouts and you would sit down and the water would come in and it would flow constantly. So you go to the bathroom there, do your business, and then it would flow out in a pipe or a trench. And then when it got to the edge of town, downhill, it got to a point they'd build this, they'd dig this gigantic pit. I mean, it was just massive and they'd fill it with rocks. And then all of the sewage would go out there and it would fall down on top of this rock and the water would matriculate down. And over time, that stuff wouldn't break down fast enough. And so it'd dry out and then it would get hard. And, and so what they would do is they'd make a slave or somebody go down there and scoop that stuff out. And that stuff was called what? Scubalon. See, today we use that's terms for that stuff in creative ways. We like to tell people we don't like that they have that for their brain material. We, <laughs> we tell people that what they have to suffer through at work smells like that. And this is what Paul's talking about right here. Everything that made me awesome, everything I valued is scubalon compared to See, he, he, he just doesn't say, gosh, that was so much fun and I'm going to miss it. But I guess following Jesus is probably a little bit better than that. That's not what he was doing. Do you see what he's doing? He's just saying that I, I loved that, but now I just, it's scubalon to me. So he turns away from that. He doesn't even want to smell it anymore. It's so bad. And then he does the second part. And the second part is he turns towards he turns toward by first stating his intent. I want to know Jesus Christ. I want to know everything about him. I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings. I want to be united with him in every step of the way. So he turns towards a new vision of his life, a new focus of his life, a new goal of his life. And that's what repentance is. Repentance is more than just saying, I'm not going to do this anymore. I, don't, I, shouldn't, I don't like being that person. It's saying, my values over here are not in alignment with God, and that's why I'm doing this, and I need to repent, meaning I need to do some hardcore evaluation of why when I do that, I'm valuing that more than this, because I'm supposed to value this. And that's what repentance does. It's so much more than just admitting a mistake. It's about learning from the mistake. It's asking yourself, why did I value that more than this? Why, why, what, what really got me involved in that more than this? I call this, a, the uh, repentance is so much more than, than just moralism. Because moralism is what I call the chocolate cake syndrome. All right? See, um, 
uh, in, our, in our, our family, you know, the chocolate sheet cake is the bomb, right? The chocolate sheet cake is the bomb. So there's always chocolate sheet cake left over, right? From a party or anything else. Grandma makes that. It's just unbelievably good. And so what happens is you take the chocolate sheet cake and you set it on the counter or the table and you put that saran wrap over it, you know, after the party. And then you're thinking to yourself, you know, I probably overdid it at the party. It's the next day now. I need to eat better. I need to be in better shape and stuff like that. So what do you do? Is you walk by the chocolate sheet cake and you go, I'm not going to eat that. Right? And then you come back in from the garage. I'm not eating that. Then you walk into the kitchen. I'm not eating that. How long until you grab a half gallon of milk and the chocolate sheet cake is gone? <laughs> Every other human being, yourself included, it takes all of about 20 minutes, right? Because we don't, we don't understand that. When we say, I'm not going to do something, I'm not going to do something, what do you always end up doing? What you're not going to do. You know, professional athletes, especially golfers, are always told this is whatever you do, do not visualize yourself shanking it into the trees or hitting anything. Never even allow that thought to enter your mind. And so that's called moralism. Repentance is, it's not that I'm not going to eat the chocolate sheet cake. The thing is, is that I'm over here with my friends outside, doing, going for walks, doing, you know, we're doing all this kind of stuff, so I don't even see it or smell it anymore. See, repentance is a two-part system. It's a turning away and then embracing more. It's turning towards. I will fill myself, as Paul says, whatever is lovely, whatever is excellent, whatever is pure, whatever is good reputation, whatever is loving, on these things I will set my mind. Repentance reforces me to dig deeper to find out why I'm not valuing this the most. It forces me to not just say, I don't want to do that. It forces me to say, how do I become this? This is the power of repentance. So this is what it means when Jesus says, deny yourself, let go, pick up your cross and follow me. Embrace the new. That's what he means. Now I'd like to answer a simple question, and that is, why is this central to faith? Why is this a critical, essential truth in Orthodox Christianity. Why is it that people who do what I do, if they forget this or they lose this, they lose the power of the gospel in their preaching and in the church to which they preach? Why is it so important? Well, the reason why is because repentance is the essence of how God's grace transforms your life. Repentance is how you grow. Repentance is how you change. Repentance is how you experience new things. Repentance is how you live more fully and you walk in every spiritual blessing that he has given you through your inheritance in him. When you become a child of God, yes, I am. Repentance is how you walk in that, live in that, and experience that. It allows you to move forward in ways you never imagined because without authentic biblical repentance, there's no power to change. You are what you are no matter what. Locked in the past. Your fail failures define you. There's no redemption. There's no forgiveness. There's no healing of marriages and relationships. There's no bringing prodigal children back into the fold. It's a try it. It didn't work for me, so I move on. Fifteen years ago, I knew this guy. 
And uh, he's a real successful guy and uh, had made lots and lots of money. And he was having a real problem in his personal life. So he and his wife and his two little kids started coming to church. They came to church for about nine to 12 months. And uh, he got involved in one of our men's discipleship groups at lunch. And he was going there. And he seemed to be really, you know, fired up, really, really doing well. And then one day he just disappeared. And then I didn't see him for a couple of years. But one of the benefit of just for me, you know, being here so long is that eventually I run into everybody at least once. Right. So I ran into him uh, at a store and he saw me and he goes, oh, and he goes, hey, sorry. Uh, you know, I didn't say anything. And I because I said, hey, how are you doing? How's your wife? How, you know, I just haven't run into you in a while. And he goes, yeah, sorry, I didn't say anything. We decided to move on from Christianity. And I thought that was an amazing thing to say. So I asked him, I go, well, kind of, what, what, what does that mean? And he goes, well, we were having some, you know, some problem stuff. And, I, and so, you know, I thought I'd try it, but it just didn't work for us. So we moved on. And so I believe what he is doing is he's articulating the psychological problem in our society today and why depression and anxiety is so big and so high. And the reason why is because what most people think of as repentance or trying Christianity is just this. That's all they think it is. Well, I didn't really believe it was true. Okay, I'll believe it's true now. So what happens? A whole lot of nothing. Because what they don't understand is that this is just the first half. What you got is you got a floor with no acrylic in it. It's not until you repent and turn to God. Paul describes the essence of this when he writes to the Corinthians in the second chapter, uh, the second Corinthians chapter seven. He says the following words and they're really powerful. He says, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and then the greatest phrase I love in this statement, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. Think about that. Man, if you're past 30, think about that for just one second. No regret living. No regret. No guilt. No shame. No internal player telling me, I don't measure up. I can't do it. I'm a failure. I'm a mess up. I don't deserve it. No regret. But worldly sorrow leads to what? Every single time it brings death. And that's how our society is living in a very depressed, anxious, insecure way because they are living with worldly sorrow. It's everywhere. And it produces permanent regret that chains you to your past. It produces insecurity, low self-image. These things always lead to unhappiness and unfulfillment and perpetual transference. You know what transference is? Transference is, I don't know why I'm unhappy, so I'm going to try to think that there's some external cause to my unhappiness. You know what? It's got to be the fact that I don't have a husband. That's why I'm not happy. And then you find a husband, and after a year, it's, you know why I'm, un I'm unhappy? Because I have a husband. He's annoying the living tarnation out of me. 
You know, if he would just get his act together or you know why I'm unhappy is because the political winds are going that way. Right. Or the this is the, my company is doing this or this bad thing happened to me. When these things happen, should we take them seriously? Sure. But do you want to live in a way that the winds of the age determine your confidence, your courage, and your joy. Living with transference always ends up in blame and causes you to feel like a victim. If you have a regret that you can't forget, if you feel guilty about things in your past, if you constantly carry a shame that you can't shake, this is due to worldly sorrow, which always ends in death. But my friend, the beautiful thing, the hopeful thing, the wondrous news is that godly sorrow, godly sorrow always causes a repentance. And that repentance leads to what? Salvation. And that is a newness, a refreshment, a wellspring of life that you never imagined. When you bring your failure to Jesus, he forgives and cleanses you, 1 John 1, 9. Then he asks you to repent. He wants you to evaluate what you value now and consider it scubalon in order to align your values with his values. And then he empowers you. This is the most beautiful thing. He empowers you to press on and live towards the call of his new values. You're not on your own. You have the power of the Holy Spirit moving in you, stirring you, encouraging you, strengthening you, enduring you to follow the new values. Boy, if you want a refreshed soul, a clean soul, you want to live in the fullness and you want to live without worldly sorrow that leads to death, but you want to live in a way that has no regrets, then consider your old values scubalon and embrace the values of Jesus Christ. Let it be him and him alone is what you live for. And all of these other things will start to fall into place. This is the power of repentance because it transforms you. It allows the Spirit of God through grace to refresh you. It will change you in ways you never imagined. It's so important. I decided to write out a step-by-step -step process that you can go through yourself. Whether you're here on campus or you're watching online, it doesn't matter. It's available to you. Go to our website, and you can click on it. It's a PDF and just walk through the steps. If you are on our phone app, it's right there. Don't let the world define repentance. Let Jesus define repentance. It's the most powerful thing. There was this uh, uh, man, he was born in 1725. Just a story of the power of repentance. And when he was six years old, his mom died of tuberculosis when he was six. And so he had to go live in a boarding school for two years because his dad was a shipbuilder. And then his dad gets remarried. So when he was eight, he moves home. And we don't know really how good it was because when he was 11 years old, his dad went to sea and he went with his dad. So for the next nine years, he learned how to run a ship. And then in his mid-20s, after a number of weird events, 
he became the captain of a merchant ship. And these merchant ships would go, sometimes they'd pick up like beeswax, they'd pick up spices, they might pick up honey, or they might transport wines and tobaccos. But the most lucrative thing that he found was the transportation of human flesh. And so he became a slave trader. And so he would sail down the coast into Africa, he would buy slaves, and then he would go to northern Africa, the Mediterranean, they'd sell them in the open slave markets along the Barbary Coast. What happened is when he was going back home one time, right off the coast of Ireland, he was in a massive, massive storm in a ship and he almost died. And then he goes, the first time in my life, he said, I actually called out to God and said, God, have mercy on my soul. He's so afraid. He said, I didn't become a Christian at that point, and, but I was, I was tired of sailing. And, and so he became a tax commissioner there in England and what he started to do is, uh, well, before he became a tax co uh, commissioner, what he did is he would fund other slave merchant ships. So he funded the slave trade for a while. But then he got married and then he became a tax commissioner and decided to give all that up. And at that point, he decided, I need to decide what I really believe. Do I know what I believe and why I believe it? So he started to read the Bible, study the Bible. He started to uh, read it in its original languages. He was just self-taught as he was a tax commissioner. So then he started going around talking and teaching about Jesus. And he became so popular that the Anglican church eventually ordained him as a priest. He was such a popular preacher they had to expand the parish walls just so that they could accommodate all the people that wanted to come and hear him. 30 years after he gave up the slave trade and became a tax commissioner, he wrote a pamphlet where he became an avid abolitionist against the slave trade. Now, you may not be familiar with uh, the British Empire's uh, history on that, but there was a man by the name of William Wilberforce who was the MP. Who, he was in the parliament where he presented over and over again until finally it passed that they outlawed the merchant uh, economy of slavery in the British Empire. That was in 1807. This guy, John, was one of the main supporters of that, and he lived to see that pass. What's really fascinating is that most people don't know John because of his abolitionist stance, his famous preaching, or anything else, because on the side, you know what else he did? He wrote songs. He wasn't a rapper. He was a hymnist. And he's known for one song that many, you may have heard of it before. The words go like this. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a scubalon wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was so blind. Now I see. Thank you for listening to this Sermon of the Week. Video footage of this sermon and others can be found on foothills.org.